Sup guys, this is for our new winter podcast for Mariners Church JHM on Relationology. This is about connecting with your family and peers. For more info, please visit marinerschurch.org slash JHM. Thanks. My name is Marshall. I'm here. Uh, I work with JHM on staff and I'm so excited that I get to talk about Jesus with you guys, open God's word with you guys. So let's get to it. In your breakout groups, I asked you one question. Can we throw up the question, please? And the question was, in a lot of, in the movies or in other areas of life, you see that there's like the perfect guy or the perfect girl. Why are they that way? Why are they perfect? Go ahead. They're attractive. All right. What else? Yeah. They stand up for what they believe in. That's awesome. Yeah. That's true. They don't look at explosions. Go ahead. They kill Voldemort. They kill Voldemort. All right. Harry Potter right there. All right. Cool. Right here. They practice. You listen. You were in my small. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good character. Yes. They don't make mistakes. All right. Last one right here. Can you say that really loud? That's what the director makes them to be. Okay. That's fair. Okay. Well, in all of those cases, the person that we're talking about has to do something. You said they're attractive. They have to wear nice clothes. They have to wear makeup. They have to work out, whatever. Someone said kill Voldemort. Well, that's doing something. Someone said they had good character. Well, you have to do something. You can't just sit around and do nothing. I love sports. And an example that I think of is in the 70s, there's a football team that won absolutely every game, and they're the only team that has ever done it. So their team was perfect. Now, if you asked any of those players, did you guys sit on the couch all day and play video games and eat hot wings? They'd say, no. We practiced five hours a day. We, we ran. We, we poured out a lot of sweat. We might have cried because we were in so much pain. Whatever. They did something. And that's part of what I want to talk to you guys about tonight. There's a, we have a relationship where I call it a, a contractual relationship or a contract where you give something, you get something, you have to do something to receive. So what are some examples of contracts? Anyone know? Right here. Okay, sports. So when you uh, get on a team, you get a contract, and it says, this is how much we're going to pay you, and this is what we expect of you. And if you don't meet those expectations, we're going to fire you. Okay, what else? Sorry? A job. Again, this is how much we're going to pay you. This is what we expect you to do. And if you don't do that, you're going to get fired. Mr. Vitell. Buying a house. Yes. You go to the bank. Is that right? I've never bought a house before. Um, so you go to the bank and you say, this is how much I'm going to pay you. This is how, much, this is how long I'm hoping it's going to take. And if you don't do the, those things, the bank can take your house and you have to move. Well, that's a contractual relationship. There's a contract where you have to do something. The Bible even talks about this. If you guys have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. Sorry, 5 through 6. <laughs> verses 5 through 6. Uh, side note, if you guys don't have a Bible after service, let someone with an ID badge like this know, 
and we'll get you guys a Bible, and we really encourage you guys to bring your Bibles every week, because we will be reading out of it every week. Okay, so a little background. This is, the guy that wrote this is a guy by the name of Paul, and Paul is writing a letter to this church called Philippi, the church in Philippi. Hey guys, guys, let's listen up. The church is called Philippi. Hence the word Philippines, or Philippians, sorry. Philippians. And this church is really struggling with, you have to like earn a relationship with someone, mainly with God. You have to do something. So what Paul is saying is, if that's the way, if that's the way we get a relationship with God, then I should have a perfect relationship with God. Because this is what he says. He says this. He said that he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic, righteousness, faultless. Okay. So, in this time where Paul lived and is writing this letter, the way that you were seen as righteous or the way that you were seen you had a good relationship with God is by who you were, by, like your name or where you're from, and by what you do. So he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In this society, every guy had to be circumcised eight days after they were born, and that was a requirement to follow God. So he goes, Check, I did that. He says, I was born of the tribe of Benjamin in Israel. Okay. Israel was originally made up of 12 tribes or groups of people. And one of them was called the tribe of Benjamin. So he's saying, My heritage, my family goes all the way back to the original tribe, one of the original tribes of Israel. If something is original, like a painting, if, if I found one of Picasso's original painting, that would be worth a lot more than if I found a copy of it. So he's saying, I'm one of the best because I'm one of the, I'm for the original tribe of Israel. He says, I'm also a Pharisee. Pharisees were religious leaders. They were men that had what's called the law, which is a document that has all the things you can and cannot do, mostly the things you can't do as a believer. And Pharisees were known for following the law and for telling others that they're wrong when they're not following the law. There would be a lot of like punishment that the Pharisees would do. So he's saying, I'm fr- Paul is saying, I'm from the original tribe of Israel. I was circumcised on the eighth day, and I'm a Pharisee, or was a Pharisee. I am the perfect Christian. I have the best relationship with God. But he's missing the point, and he actually does this on purpose, because what he's trying to get people to understand is that it's not about what you do. It's about what I call a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship is 
when someone does not leave you no matter what. God has this relationship with you. You cannot do anything where God would be like, you know what? Forget it. I'm done. He's hopeless. You know? God isn't sitting up in, in heaven looking at me saying, oh, Marshall lied again. Ah, well, he's done that so many times. I just, whatever. And he gives up. No, that's not what he does. And what Paul is trying to do is he's trying to show that. He's trying to say, if, I w- if you were going by just works, I'm the best. But then he goes on to say the next verse, verse 7 in the same chapter. It says, but whatever was to my profit, being I was circumcised, I was a Pharisee, things like that, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the suppressing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, of whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which c- comes through faith in Christ. Okay. He's saying it's not about being a Pharisee or being from a, the tribe of Benjamin or whatever. If this was true, none of us, well, I shouldn't say none of us, most of us probably could not be considered spiritually righteous because I'm guessing most of you guys are not from Israel and can line your heritage back to one of the 12 tri- original tribes of Israel. Maybe some of you can, and that's awesome, but most of you probably can't. Or none of us are Pharisees. So what is it? It's, it's God. There's, it, it doesn't matter what you do. It is all about this covenant relationship. And Paul is a great example of this. Because Paul, before he was a Christian, he was not a very good guy. Turn with me to, Philipp, uh, excuse me, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. This is what it says. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here. This is what I want you to focus on. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Okay. You have Paul, who says, Jesus still loved me, even though I was one of the worst sinners, which is not an exaggeration, probably. It's probably telling the truth. Paul, before he was a Christian, his job was to go from town to town and get all the Christians and persecute them. That was what he did. He was one of the most feared people, that, one of the most feared people by Christians because they knew if they found out they were a Christian, if, they, if Paul found out, found, found out that he, they were a Christian, they'd get persecuted. But God did not abandoned him, even though he had done some pretty horrible things. God never, ever abandoned him. 
A more modern example, one that I am really lucky to have, is my dad. When I was in eighth grade, I was diagnosed with a really rare disease called Charcot-Marie Tooth Disease. Basically what it does is it attacks your feet and it makes it so you can't walk very well. And the only way to fix this problem is to have surgery. So I had four surgeries. And the worst part of the surgeries wasn't right after the surgery. It wasn't being in the hospital for a couple days. It was going home that first night. Because when I was in the hospital, they gave me what's called a nerve block, which is basically a shot. And for me, they put it right into my hip. And it made my leg, the one that I just got surgery on, completely numb. I couldn't feel it. But when I got home, it would slowly start to wear off. And by about 2 o'clock in the morning or so, it'd be completely gone. And I could feel this huge pain in my leg, in my foot. And my dad, he could have, he'd had every right to go to his room and get a good night's rest and be comfortable in his bed and, you know, not have to worry about waking me up or doing anything. But that's not what he did. My dad slept on the floor next to me. And he made sure I remembered to take my meds. And because I didn't sleep very much that night, he didn't. He watched TV with me. I can remember one time, one moment, I was in so much pain, I, I didn't know what to do. So I just grabbed the pillow, I put it on my face, and I just started screaming. And at that moment, my dad can be like, you know what, I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired, I'm so frustrated with you, Marshall, I'm done. He could have done that. And that you know, could be like a contract relationship because I wasn't doing the right thing, quote unquote. But that didn't matter. What mattered is that I was okay. What mattered is that I would get through it. That's what covenant, a covenant relationship looks like. But it's not always easy. We all have relationships where we live in contract, a contract relationship. For me, my friend Ryan. I had a friend named Ryan, and he betrayed my trust in a really painful way. And I can remember being so mad at God because I, I, I remember thinking, God, I go to church, I pray, I'm on the student leadership team, I'm in a small group. I, at that time, led a small group. I'm doing all these right things. Why are you letting this happen to me? I don't get it. Why? And I was mad. Well, I was living in a contract relationship with Jesus. And then things got better and better and and then that friend died. He was 20 years old. Imagine me a year ago. I was 20 last year. I'm a pretty young guy. Me dying last year. He was really young. And I got really mad at God. God, why did you let him die? I go to church. I am in a small group. I'm doing all the right things. What are you doing? That was a contract relationship. We all live in a contract relationship somewhere in our lives. It could be with our parents. It could be with our friends, with our teachers, whatever. We're going to do communion tonight, and if you guys are serving communion, 
I'm going to ask you guys to get to your stations. And we're doing communion because communion, we remember what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus died. And the only reason why we can have a covenant relationship with each other and with God is because of Jesus' death. Because we are sinful, someone had to die for us so we could have this kind of a relationship with God. And God chose his son. God loves you and me so much that he sent his only son to die. So what we're going to do is we're going to take this bread. And this bread represents Jesus' body. Jesus' body that was broken for you and me. You're going to rip it off. Then you're going to dip it into the grape juice. And this grape juice represents Jesus' blood that was shed for you. And I want you guys to do this as quietly as possible. Because for some people, this is a really hard thing. I'm going to ask you to do something before you take communion. And I want people to have time to think and pray. And what I want you guys to do is I want you guys to think of where in your life are you living in a contract, contractual relationship. I want you guys to sit and pray for that. And then when you guys feel like you're ready, you can stand up and quietly take the bread, dip it in the juice, and then I'm going to ask you to sit back down before you eat it. And then you can eat it when you sit down. We have four stations, two up here and then two in the back corners. So whenever you guys have feel like you've done praying and you kind of thought about that person or group of people, you can go ahead and take communion and then I'll come back up in a minute. So why should I worry? Why do I freak out? God knows what I need. You know
Okay. Guys, if you want to live in a way that will completely transform your life, accept this covenant relationship with God. I know for a lot of us, it's really easy when we mess up to think, man, why am I doing this again? Man, God must have just given up. But understand, he will never, ever give up on you guys. And now, that doesn't mean that you guys can go out and do whatever you want because, hey, God will forgive me and God will always love me. No, 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 no. Live a life without sin as much as you can. But when you do make a mistake, when you do sin, know that God still loves you. And that will change your life. That will make you think, I'm not a failure. I still, there's still hope. And it'll give you the strength to keep going. I want to pray for you guys, and then I'll dismiss you. Father God, thank you so much for tonight or today. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross. Thank you for the debt that was paid. And God, thank you for the hope that we have in you because of this covenant relationship that we can have with you. God, I pray that in the times when we make mistakes that we would remember that there is no thing that we can do to outrun your love. We can try, but we can't. We cannot do something where you will give up on us. Thank you for that. God, I pray for each and every student in here, some of who are, might be going through a difficult time right now. I pray that you would comfort them and know. I pray that you would help them understand this especially because it's really hard to remember this in the tough times. Remind us all that you will never, ever leave us. Thank you for today. We pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, guys, have an awesome week. We'll see you next week.